nobody wants to talk about mindset. No. Right. Because in their mind, it's like, well, you know, clearly what's the secret? I want to know the secret. What's the secret to success? Everybody's like, man, I, I want to know like that. That's the biggest buzzword, right? The secret, the secret, the secret is the mindset. Hello everyone and welcome to CEO Journals. On today's episode you have the pleasure of listening to Brett Knutson. Brett is an incredible entrepreneur who is a partner in the marketing agency Monopolize. However, we find out that this is not how Brett got his start. We find out instead that his original venture was a social network called Hive, a business for which he was able to raise millions of dollars for and was the foundation of the network he has built today. So much so, it's what has led his agency to having one of the largest social networks out of all marketing agencies and can reach over 4 billion followers. Today's show is mainly focused around mindset and networking. Brett has a killer mindset when it comes to success and he provides some amazing insights how you can change your mindset for the better. We also go into how Brett has managed to build his network and become friends with A-list celebrities. He explains how to reach these people and how to make sure that you maintain these relationships for years to come. I can't explain how much value is packed into the next hour, so make sure you listen carefully, as Brett is not only knowledgeable, but inspiring. So without further ado, let's dive straight into today's episode. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the CEO Journals podcast. Today on the show, I have Brett Knutson. Brett, how are you doing today? Doing well. Thanks for having me. No worries at all. So for the listeners that haven't heard of you before, can you just give a quick 60-second introduction of who you are and what you do? Sure. So I, uh, I'm a partner in a marketing agency called Monopolize. My other partners in that agency are the founding team of Shipped, which sold to Target and the founder of Fit Tea and Happy Tea. And we, uh, we essentially run campaigns. We have a, the largest influencer network of any agency in the world. So we span about 4 billion followers. And so we run campaigns for Fortune 500 companies down to startups and big personal brands like Grant Cardone and every, everybody in between. So that's me in a nutshell. My background originally was in software. So I started a social network called Hive. We worked with a lot of influencers for that. So that's kind of how I got into uh, having a marketing agency after Hive. So that's, that's a little bit about me. So this all sounds absolutely incredible. I can't wait to dive into certain aspects of that more later on in the episode. But the way I like to start all my episodes is throw it back with my guests and ask them how they, what their experience was like in childhood. So let's focus on 15-year-old Brett at school. How were you? How did you find it? Were you a straight A student? So I, I, uh, I took a really big detour um, around the age of like 13 or 14. So growing up, I was always um, like a straight A student and on the honor roll. And, um, but I, I was also very, I was very bullied and very introverted and I didn't have any friends. And uh, I was into all of like the, the worst hobbies for someone who doesn't want to be bullied, like playing Yu-Gi-Oh and just all the nerdy stuff. And uh, so for me, um, I made a pretty big shift after eighth grade when I just kind of came online as a human being 
uh, after being rejected by like the first girl that I really showed interest in. And uh, it was weird for me because it, it was kind of like I came online and all of a sudden I had a ton of self-awareness that I didn't have before. Because before I would always wonder like, how come people don't like me? You know, why do people not want to be friends with me? Why do people pick on me? And I never understood that until that moment. And it was like, I just got just a huge avalanche of self-awareness. And all of a sudden I understood everything. I, I understood, I, I, was, I was almost shocked at who I was and how I became who I was. And I didn't even want to be friends with myself. You know, I was just like, I need to change everything about myself. Um, so I, I started trying to be more outgoing. And uh, I started, I changed the way that I dressed. I changed my hairstyle. I, I started joining sports. I, um, you know, just literally changed everything I could about myself. And so 15 was uh, a big part of that transition for me. So I was still trying to figure out who the heck I was. I didn't want to change myself so much that I couldn't identify with who I was anymore. I didn't want to be fake. Yeah. But I also, I also knew that who I had been was never going to be someone who would be happy or successful in life. And so um, I actually dropped a focus on school. And I was aware of the fact that I could just go to a community college and uh, after high school, and if I did well in community college, then I could just go on to whatever university I wanted, regardless of what my grades in high school were. So uh, I dropped academics almost entirely uh, to the point where I was kind of just barely passing most classes in the effort to be more social uh, and more socially apt and socially aware. So I put a focus on trying to just be friends with everybody. And so uh, at 15, everybody still remembered who I was in middle school. So nobody was buying it, right? They're like, wow, you're that weird kid. You're just, you're even more weird now because you're trying to be all outgoing and it's like not working. <laughs> so thankfully, uh, puberty was in my favor a little bit. And so um, I just ended up being a giant kid. I mean, I had like 16, 17, I was, you know, 295 pounds and six foot five, six foot six. So uh, I had a lot of advantage in in football which is kind of my sport of choice and so by the time I hit senior year I was really good at football and I was friends with everybody and and so that that kind of uh that helped me a lot but um but yeah I mean it, it was a big transition phase for me 14 15. So we you say you were you were into Yu-Gi-Oh all the classic nerdy stuff but were you happy at the time? Or was it until people started bullying you that then you started realizing, oh, I need to change myself? And in that initial stage, were you happy about changing yourself? I would say that I was happy throughout elementary school back yeah. when, you know, most kids don't like, there's not really a lot of bullies in elementary school. Yeah. Um, at least not in my experience, there weren't. So uh, when everybody was kind of minding their own business and I was kind of minding my own business, yeah, I, I would say I was, was fairly happy. But in middle school, it, it doesn't really, unfortunately, it doesn't really matter if I liked those hobbies because the bullying makes, uh, it steals all joy, yeah. right? So it doesn't matter if playing, playing Yu-Gi-Oh made me happy because that was counter, counterbalanced so tremendously by the bullying. And it's not like I was just bullied for Yu-Gi-Oh. I was bullied for all sorts of stuff. But it, it was just, I mean, I'm talking, and also it wasn't helped by like my home environment was a very good and nurturing home environment up until my parents got divorced. But uh, that whole period, I mean, my, my parents were essentially encouraging behavior and encouraging things that were getting me bullied. 
like tucking in my t-shirts and wearing jean shorts with high socks and sandals and just the whole, everything. I just looked ridiculous all day, every day. Um, so yeah, I, I think, um, you, a lot of times some of the most bullied kids I would say are sometimes some of the most loved at home because their parents just like, it's like someone should have told me, Hey man, you look like a, a dork. You're going to get picked on at school. And now like with my kids, uh, I have a, a six and five-year-old and a two-year-old, my six and five-year-old, they're at the age now where they need to start having some social awareness or they're going to get picked on by other kids. And so that's something I'm aware of, right? And most parents are just like, oh, whatever, kids, kids are kids. And uh, I, I think that you have to start them young and understanding like, hey, what you just did, you know, that that's going to get you, you're going to experience rejection from other kids, right? And experiencing rejection is a good thing in, in a way. Uh, I think that it's built me, but at the same time, when you're really little, it can also kind of mess you up. So I think there, there's a fine line there. No, I find that not only touching, but also super interesting because it's obviously shaped who you are today. If you may, if that didn't happen back then and you didn't make that shift to obviously be more socially apt and you wouldn't, you wouldn't have the capabilities to have built the network that you actually have today. So you can almost look back at that and think that's changed me for the better rather than some kids that look back on being bullied as a bad thing. Do you look at? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Um, I I think honestly that uh, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of anything I've accomplished has really been the result of an intentional focus around curating relationships and an intentional focus around becoming a good communicator because that was something that I was so terrible at. Uh, whereas, you know, most people, they might just say they ride the line of average or whatever they're, that's something that they never really focus on bettering themselves at. And that comes to their detriment. So, yeah, I mean, I, I would say that a focus on becoming a better communicator has 100% helped me just because it was so intentional for so long and still is. No, and that's amazing. So obviously you are who you are today because of it. So I now want to transition a bit more into the business side of things when did you first um realize that you were entrepreneurial did you have were you the kid that grew up like having lemonade stands flipping stuff on ebay when did you first realize that so um i i really wish uh, if there's one thing i could change about my childhood it would be that i I wish that i had a family that was more into uh change i guess you could say like like we we were like the last family to have a computer like the last family to have high-speed internet like we were always the last to have everything and it wasn't because my my parents couldn't afford it it was just because my dad was just anti that stuff and he still says to this day like if you didn't have to have a cell phone for work he would throw it in the ocean so like for for me uh, I never made any a single cent online as a kid but I was all about lemonade stands I was all about like hustling to figure out how I could make money I had uh, I always had like, you know, those little uh, rolls of admit one tickets. Yeah. I would always buy these rolls of admit one tickets and try and figure out what I could sell a ticket to. So like (laughs) we would, uh, we would have like um, an arcade set up at the house where we would have like, you know, a little pinball machine that was like $50 that like one of my friends had. And we'd have like video, like a video game console from like another neighbor's house. We'd like, we'd compile all of the fun stuff we had and like a trampoline, we'd compile it all. And then we'd try and like sell tickets. Uh, we, we had like a, a nasty 
little like drainage, uh, like swamp thing where there was like one of those tubes that just drained water into the swamp. Yeah, yeah. And we were, you know, pulling weeds out and trying to make it into like some sort of little mini resort and like sell tickets to the kids. So yeah, I mean, I, I definitely always had that in me and, um, but I, I never knew what an entrepreneur was. So my parents were actually against entrepreneurship, especially my dad, because uh, he had had a, a friend from elementary school all the way through high school who became an entrepreneur and he crushed it. And my dad became a cop. And he was like, there's no way that this guy who he, well, used to be his best friend, he's like, there's no way he's making that kind of money unless he's selling drugs. And so he had that mindset, right? And he's just like, it, there's no way. And so he actually really had a negative outlook towards entrepreneurial ventures and entrepreneurship. And he tried to keep that from me. Both my parents did. So I think that they kind of knew I was different. And they, they were trying to really corral and push me towards going to, going to college and you know, getting a job. And all I knew was that that was what I didn't want. I never really knew what I did want because I didn't know what entrepreneurship was. My brain literally couldn't conceive of the fact that like somebody started Walmart. It was just like Walmart's a place where people work. And so once I finally realized that, it was when I was like 18 when I finally realized like people start their own companies and like build their own things. Uh, that was life changing for me because up until that point, I had been so conditioned to believe that you just work uh, for some, you know, in a company and then you just work your way up and that's the way that the world is. And so, um, I, I, even though I was entrepreneurial as a kid, I didn't realize what I was. I just knew that I didn't fit in. That's so pretty much my go, whole life. <laughs> so did you go to college or did you just go straight into working? So I originally, I wanted to go to college because I wanted to play football. And so it was all about football, but then I got in a really bad car accident after I turned 18. Uh, and I'd lost the ability to play any contact sports for the rest of my life from that car accident. And so as a result, it's like now I went from going to college to play football to now like having to pay for college and not play football. And that didn't sound fun at all. So I went for like a semester to a community college and it, it just confirmed the fact that I, that I hated college. And uh, so I dropped out. And did you have a plan? Uh, my, so my, my life at the time was really just more based around, like I said, what I, I was really good at knowing what I didn't want, yeah. uh, but not the greatest at knowing what I did want. And so like most college dropouts that uh, know what they don't want, right? They don't want to work underneath a boss. They don't want to go to college, right? They just know a bunch of what they don't want. I ended up in sales because with sales, at least I didn't have a boss. You know, I felt like I could earn what I was worth, not just collect a paycheck, yeah. right? There was a difference to me between earning a paycheck and collecting one. And, uh, and no one told me that sales was supposed to be hard or that most people are bad at sales. So I didn't have any preconceived notion in my head. And because of that, I think I did really well. And so sales was kind of my first, my first thing that I, that I found success at. And then after that, I ended up starting a direct sales company with a mentor of mine who was like the first successful person I'd ever met. And his name was Scott and he had had a crazy amount of success in commercial real estate. And I remember witnessing his success because his daughters were my age in high school and they came to school one day and keep in mind I'm from a very small town so I actually grew up in a township of 600 people and I had to drive half an hour to school in a town of about 17,000 people and in that town there was not a single person who made like over 100,000 a year there's not a single home that was over a million dollars like this is a very blue-collar town 
everybody worked at a cereal plant there called Malta Meal. And so basically, when his two daughters showed up to school one day in matching Escalades, I was like, what? Who? How? Like, I just, I didn't understand any of it. I, I never, I, I literally, I don't know if I'd ever even seen an Escalade because that's just the, the town that I lived in. Nobody had money. And so I just was like, what does he do? What does he do? And my mind's like racking through all the things I've been told, right? Jobs that you can make. He must be a lawyer, must be a doctor, right? Well, I found out that he, he literally owned skyscrapers. He was a huge commercial real estate guy. And he, he sold his entire portfolio for about $154 million at the peak of the market in, in 2007 and retired. And so I ended up having him as a mentor throughout my early adulthood. And we ended up starting a company together. Uh, direct sales company when I was 20 years old and I was the head of like all the sales for that like the director of sales and so that company ended up being a huge huge failure and so that was why I was like you know what maybe I'm not cut out to be an entrepreneur so now I'm like man the only thing I thought I liked which was being an entrepreneur and building things and starting things was like the only thing I thought I liked I'm clearly I guess not supposed to be and I'm not supposed to go to college so this was a really trying time for me because I considered going back to college even though I knew I hated it. And even though I knew I wasn't going to be happy. And, uh, and I actually applied to a couple places, got accepted. And then it was right around that time when I decided to start Hive. And that was not because I wanted to be an entrepreneur. It was because I was trying to solve a problem for my mom. So my mom was chronically disabled and she uh, just sat at home by herself all day, every day. Uh, my parents, like I said, got divorced when I was 14. So and I was obviously an adult. So like we were all out of the house and it was just my mom by herself. And because she was disabled, she had lost her license from, you know, just not being safe to drive. And so she literally was just stuck at home like a jail, like a jail cell. Right. And so uh, I felt horrible for her and I was trying to figure out ways that she could find friends that were nearby or like make new friends. And there was just nothing at the time because it's like 2012. And so um, I ended up starting Hive with a co-founder. Uh, and we, that was like the reason why I started and got back into entrepreneurship. That is a huge why. That is a huge why. Cause I, yeah. I like it when, love it when people talk about family as well, cause I'd do anything for my parents. Like they've done everything for me. I'd do anything for them. So when I hear someone say that the reason they actually started a business for their mom, that's, I just find that really humbling as well. Like I love that. It's a big why. So that obviously pushed you a lot. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Because not only was I trying, so now Keep in mind, so one of the things I've never shared on a podcast before is um, I actually was supporting my mom financially uh, leading up until that. So even though I didn't have a lot of money and even though that business was failing, I was still sending her like several hundred dollars a month just to help her keep her head wow. above water because my mom had gone through bankruptcy and foreclosure and everything. And so now it's like, not only am I trying to make this succeed so she's not so lonely, but I'm also trying to make it succeed so that I can help her financially because she's just been financially destitute, like all ever since I got divorced. And so that was a huge amount of pressure. It was a huge why. And it was, it was 100% the only reason I was able to overcome the heinous amount of obstacles that came my way. And, uh, you know, and, and we ended up, I don't know how much of the story you know, but basically, moved, you know, moved to Silicon Valley, uh, slept on the floor because I couldn't afford a mattress of an illegally modified 1,200 square foot house, which is like the size of a two bedroom apartment that I shared with over 20 other people. And there was a family of seven living in just one of the bedrooms there. I did not know that. Is, 
insane. Here's my thing. Like if, if, uh, so in the case of this family of seven, they were working, you know, entry level minimum wage jobs. If you're going to work a job like that, just move, right? Like just move because what a, what a horrible, you know, way to live. Like you could live at, the Bay area is the most expensive zip code. Like the, that's the most expensive place to live in all of America. So like just pick a different place. But needless to say, we, I mean, we had this tremendous amount of people living in this house, sharing one fridge, sharing one bathroom, you know, one kitchen. And uh, I, it was well over a year trying to raise money. And I didn't have, when I moved out there, I knew zero people, zero. So, I mean, really starting like ground floor, trying to raise hundreds of thousands of dollars, uh, you know, eventually millions from, uh, from nothing. So that's why one of the things that bothers me the most is I have so many people that will say, well, you know, I don't have any connections as though that's something that's outside of their control. Right. Yeah. Every, my entire network has been 100% from nothing and it's been intentional, right? Like you control who, you know, you know, the fact that you started a podcast, anybody who's starting a podcast, it's a brilliant hack into building a network. Right. And yes, so and I'm aware of that. that it's really smart. So there, there's just, it's in your control, right? You're, uh, you said you're in the UK. Yeah. Right. So if somebody's like, well, how I can't get access to people in the U S I'm in the UK. That's not, that's not a good enough excuse. Cause we're talking right now. Yeah. Right. So really it just comes down to what, what matters enough to you. And it, and it has to be bigger than money and bigger than yourself. Like you need to why a reason for doing and a reason for being that's bigger than you and bigger than money because the obstacles are so big, right? It's not easy. It's, it's excruciatingly hard, but here's what it is though. Is it simple? There's a difference between simple and easy, right? What I did is not easy. It's very hard, right? It takes an incredible amount of mental toughness to do it, an incredible amount of persistence and perseverance and dedication and resilience and resolve, but it doesn't take, it's not complicated, right? It's simple. It's just hard, right? It's, it's just like going to the gym every day. It's simple, but it's hard, right? And so many people, it's just like they just, the reason they're not successful is just because they just don't want it bad enough. So what was your first big breakthrough with the investment for Hive? How long did that take you and how did that come about? So from the time I, from the time that my co-founder and I came up with the idea originally to when uh, I actually, we closed the round of funding was almost two years. And it was a long time, 20 months, which by that time, most people give up. And uh, I think the statistics on that, it's like 0.91%. So less than 1% ever raise money from a VC or an angel investor uh, of startups. And so for us, it was just uh, a matter of just a heinous amount of trial and error. I mean, I, I burned so many bridges and uh, not intentionally, just like by being underprepared, right? So many great opportunities that I went into not having a pitch deck down or not having a a prototype done or not have it. There's just so much I didn't know what I didn't know what the heck I was doing. So I was learning everything the hardest, longest, and most expensive way possible until um, it, it came to the point where I'd lived in Silicon Valley for a year, right? It was like the one year anniversary of, of trying to raise money in Silicon Valley. Now I had been trying to raise money for like 18 months, you know, whatever, 19, 20 months, but it, I'd been in Silicon Valley for a year and that was not a happy celebration, right? The one year anniversary of sleeping on the floor, trying to raise money and failing. Meanwhile, everybody back in my hometown saying, Hey, how's the whole app thing coming? 
Hey, how's the whole, like, and that's just drills negativity. And because they're not, some people are asking it because they know it's going poorly. And, but even the people who are asking it out of love and, you know, or love or concern, it's all of it's negative when you're in that state. And so, uh, I got to the point where, you know, on that one year anniversary, I basically started lying to myself and I, I wanted to give up, but I didn't want to say I was giving up because that, that means that I just wasted two years of my life and that I failed again, right? Cause I'd already failed that other company. So I just said, you know what? I, I'm not going to quit. I'm just going to go back home and I'm going to, you know, find another place that's easier to, you know, raise money or I'll go, I'll go home and raise money from there. And, um, Obviously, that you know, the whole reason I moved to Silicon Valley was because I, that wasn't going to work, right? The whole reason I moved was because that was not something that I could do, and so it just it was really unfortunate. And um, you know, but I bought a plane ticket, and I just said, you know what, I'll, I'll I couldn't afford to buy one for the next day, so I bought one for a month later. And I was and lying to myself again. I was like, well, I have a whole month. You know, I have a whole month here. I'm sure I'll raise money here in that month, even though I didn't raise it in the previous year. And uh, hit that button, which was basically me giving up. And I think that so, so many people don't have, don't have the experience that I had, which I'll get to in a second. But basically, so many people, they hit that button or they, they do whatever that is for them, which is quitting, right? Maybe it's just giving up on their e-commerce business or it's giving up on whatever they're doing or, you know, stopping, stop, uh, they've given up reaching out to clients, whatever it is, they decide to stop and that's it right? Like they, whatever that lack of action is, that is that it's the end of their business. And for me, um, when I, when I basically hit that button to purchase that flight, I was, it was, you know, like all the culmination of all the hard work and all of everything I did, uh, with my co-founder leading up to that point, what led to a phone call the following morning, I got woken up at 8am by a phone call saying we were, they were going to fill the round for $150,000. And it was just absolutely mind blowing to think how many people must get that close. Yeah. I mean, we're talking like 12 hours away from a breakthrough. How many people must get that close, but because of the type of business they're running, they don't get a phone call, right? Maybe it was just if they had reached out to one more person or if they had just tried one more product or if they'd just done one more thing, right? And how many people must be that close? And I think that that's just the way that life tests us, right? To determine just how bad, just how bad do you actually want what you say you want, right? Because if you want a 1% life, a life that everybody wants, by the way, it's not a life that only 1% of people want. It's a life everybody wants, but only 1% have. That means that you have to want that life more than 99% of other people, right? And most people don't think that way. If you want to be a, an actor or you want to be a professional musician or you know, you want to be an entrepreneur, you have to want that more than 99% of the population that wants that. And I think if most people are honest with themselves, they would look, you know, they, they would look themselves in, in the mirror and say, you know what, I, I just don't want it that bad. It's too hard. You know, I can't tell you how that how inspiring that is. And obviously, the listeners listening are going to think the same. Even me more so because I'm sitting here on a video call looking at you as you're talking about this and you're extremely passionate and you have made it. You could have quit, but you didn't. And now look at you. 
you are successful you have gone on to you went on to raise millions as you say but it was just that first did you find that initial success the hardest and then as you say people talk talk of it as like the hockey stick effect it's just getting that first success and then it's always up from there <laughs> no 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 it's not always to, up a, from to a certain extent though it was that the first one was the hardest and then it happened yeah, I mean, here's, here's why it's the hardest. So one of the things I want to make sure that everybody's aware of is your first success. It's, it's not, it would, and this is important. I know that like what, what everybody wants to hear is like, it's just that one time and then everything's up from there. That anybody telling you that, that's a lie. Okay, so it, it is important that everybody knows that it's, it's not, it was not yeah. easy after that at all. Like not even remotely close to easy. Um, because the, I mean, funding is literally just a, it's a stepping stone because now you actually have to build the product. You have to get it in the hands of, in our case, it was hundreds of thousands of people. It wasn't even enough people. So like millions of people. Right. So, and it just, it's, it's never ending. Here's the one thing that that first success breaks. And this is what's important. Okay. Is it changes your mindset, right? It, it, it creates the belief because essentially you've been riding on false confidence that whole time, right? I, I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. When in, in the back of your head, no, I can't, no, I can't, no, I can't. And you have zero evidence, zero, zero evidence, zero past experience to confirm your false confidence and say, no, I can do it because I did it this time. That's not there. It's your first time. So you are literally lying to yourself about what you can do because it's all you have because no one else in your life believes that you can do it right and if they if they say they believe you can that sometimes that's just love masking the truth which is well you know when he fails he'll, he can always come back home right and that's like the my mom always supported me but i i guarantee you my mom didn't always think i could do it there's a difference right um, and sometimes people don't even have somebody who will support them, someone who will lie to their face and say, I think you can do it right when they don't necessarily think they can do it. So the biggest breakthrough that you have when you have that first success, it's just a mindset thing. It's not financial, right? Cause that, that $150,000 did not go into my pocket, right? That went to fund the business. So now I'm living off of like, you know, less than a thousand dollars a month, right? It wasn't all glamor, right? So it's, it's, it's not a financial breakthrough. It's, it's literally just a mindset breakthrough. It's I, now I know I can do it. That doesn't make the obstacles any easier. In fact, the more success you experience, the way, way, way bigger the obstacles get because it's the resistance of how bad do you want it? How bad do you want it? How bad do you want it? Right? And most people, a lot of people, even if they make it past that first success, they'll still give up. Right? But the one thing that nobody can take away from you when you've had that first taste of success is the fact that now you know you can do it, yeah. right? But assuming you're trying to achieve greater and greater levels of success, you'll always still have that in the back of your mind. Well, I know I can do that, but can I do this? Well, I know I can do that, but can I do this? And it's like a muscle, right? So it's a muscle that you continue to work out until eventually you just get to the point where you pretty much always believe. Not always, but you pretty much always believe, you know what, even though this is something I haven't done, I think I can do it because I didn't think I could do the last 12 things I've done and I did, right? 
And so it just, that, that voice, that negative voice, the negative self-talk that's in the back of your head and says, no, you can't, no, you can't, or what if you can't, or what if you fail? That voice is always going to be there, but it just gets quieter and quieter and quieter, right? So that's, it's, that's the muscle you train. And you, until you have your first success, you're battling that all off of false confidence and false belief, right? With no actual reference point of anything. And so that's the win you get. It's by no means all uphill from there. I went through way harder, way more stressful things than I could ever possibly imagine. And it made me wish that I was still sleeping on the floor in that, in that room. But at least I knew if I can do it, if I could do that, I can do this. Right? That's the one thing you can hold on to. And that is a very powerful thing. Because your, your mindset, nobody wants to talk about mindset. No. Right? Because in their mind, it's like, well, you know, clearly what's the secret? I want to know the secret. What's the secret to success? Everybody's like, man, I, I want to know like that. That's the biggest buzzword, right? The secret, the secret, the secret is the mindset, but nobody wants to hear that because it's not sexy, right? It's not a tactic. People want to know a tactic. It's like, what can I do though? It's like, you need to work on this, right? Work on your mindset, work on your brain, work on what's up here, work on what your self-talk is. You know, like that's the most important thing because if you don't believe you can do anything, then you're never going to take the required action to get the result that you want. You know, so you actually have to start with envisioning the success and, and envisioning yourself achieving that result and then use that to reinstill the belief that that doesn't exist, right? It's all air. Your mind can't tell the difference between reality and high detailed thought, which is a good thing. That's how people achieve goals is they envision themselves achieving the goal long before they ever do. And that, in, that gets their belief to the level where they can take the necessary uh, actions to achieve the result. My next door neighbor is an Olympic gold medalist. Coolest freaking thing ever. I would rather live next to an Olympic gold medalist and be friends with an Olympic gold medalist than be friends with any celebrity. Because he is the best in the world at what he does. That is amazing, right? And then the, just the level, the mindset, ability that that takes to be the best in the world at anything is incredible. And so just talking to him, it's all up here. He envisioned that gold medal in his hand at 15 years old every day until he won. And he, but because he envisioned it, he knew, right? His belief was there now. And the belief, of, the belief will tell you, it's honest. Hey, you're not going to just sit. You're not, it's not going to work if you just sit on the couch. So then the belief will tell you, well, what, if I want to be the best in the world, what does best in the world effort look like? Oh, shoot. Do I want this that bad? And if you want it that bad, it's, I mean, every day, all day until you get there, right? And then once you get there, you think the journey's over and it's like, it's just started. You know, and now it's, now I got to take it to the next level, right? Do you think there's ever a top? Do you think there's ever the end of the journey for you? Or do you think you're always going to be climbing that hill? I think that happiness comes from progress. And the moment you stop climbing is the moment you start dying. And I think that if, you, if you're searching for happiness, find something that you love doing, that you're good at doing, and that brings value to people, and never stop. There's never an end. No. Right? I find that, honestly, this, this sort of topic here on psychology and mindset is one of the most interesting things. There's obviously so many books about it, but until you experience 
firsthand yourself, you can't completely switch that mindset to how you want it to be. So, but I don't want to, I could talk for hours on this topic, but I do want to dive into your ability to network because that is also incredible. For example, at the beginning of the episode, you mentioned Happy Tea, Fit Tea, Hive. For all of these, you've connected with A-list celebrities, the top influencers across Instagram and YouTube. But I want to know how you started building this network and how you got it to where it is today. Because obviously for things like Happy Tea, I've seen advertisements with Kylie Jenner, like one of the probably, if not at the moment, the most famous person in the world. How did this start? And how, for someone with no network and no connections, would you recommend that they go about starting to build this network? So the, the first thing that you need to do is you need to acquire some sort of a skill, right? And so, and ideally, it, 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 here's the thing, it doesn't need to be a skill that a billionaire will find useful. It just needs to be a skill that can get you in the door with somebody. And then from there, it's just a matter of adding value to people first, always leading with value. The average person, especially when you're getting started, all you're looking for is what you can take, right? What can I take from this to benefit me, right? What can I, what can I, you know, out of this relationship, this person I just met who's really successful, what can I take from them to benefit me? And that you have to, and here's the thing, that's a natural way to think. So I'm not here to make anybody feel bad because that's the way that I first thought, right? I'm trying to raise money. So I'm sitting here thinking, you know, how can I get money from people, right? And when you're first starting, you have nothing. So everything is an opportunity. Everything is. So it's very hard to retrain your brain to think this way, but you have to figure out a way to add value first. And here's the thing. It doesn't always need to be value that you directly can provide. It can be value that someone you know can provide to someone else you just met, right? So it can be an introduction you can make. It can be value. Sometimes it's just value of the value of friendship, right? Helping someone through a tough relationship situation or helping, you know, like, like it, it, it can just, it doesn't always need to be uh, business value. And it, and it certainly doesn't always need to be from you directly, but you need to figure out a way to lead with value and always be racking your brain of how you can lead with value with everybody you meet. Now, in order to meet more people who are valuable people, you need to have proximity. If I'd stayed in my small town of 600 people, it doesn't matter how much I mastered the ecosystem, I'm not going to have proximity, right? Now, a podcast is, is it's a good way to have proximity. Like That's probably one of the only real ways that you can do that if you want to stay remote. Um, but generally speaking, you'd have a lot more opportunity anybody would if they had proximity to the type of people that they were trying to get to know. Right. So it's going to events, being around the people that, that you want to have the chance to run into. And so now, now that you've changed your mindset, right, you're going to lead with value. That's great. Now you're, you're, you're you just removed yourself from a, a pool of millions into a pool of thousands. Right. But the problem is you're still in a pool of thousands. I get DMS every single day from people saying, Hey, let me know how I can help. Hey, let me know. How I can add value. Hey, I'd love to work for you for free. Okay. So how do you separate yourself from the pool of thousands? So instead of saying, hey, like, and so I, I had somebody ask me, they're like, hey, you know, I really want to reach out to this person. And then the particular person that they were talking to is, is a friend of mine. And they said, uh, I think that I could help them uh, by building them a website. But I've reached out and, and, you know, asked them if I can build them a website and they haven't replied. And I said, build them the website. 
and they it, don't ask if you can do it, just do it. Cause that'll make you stand out. Right. And, and they built the website for them, told them they built the website and they replied. Right. And said, Hey, we need to talk. So sometimes it's just, it's, you have to figure out a way to go the extra mile and set yourself apart. So once you've done that, now you're like, Hey, I'm in, right. They replied. I added value and it worked. Now is the part that nobody wants to hear, which is that it, you need to add value repeatedly over and over and over again and, not, like, and not expect anything in return to be an exceptional relationship builder. You need to add value over and over and over again, even when you have nothing. And this is the very, very, like nobody wants to hear that, right? Because it's like, when do I get my part though? I need to survive. I need to, you know, thrive. When do I get my, my piece? And the answer is you could take your piece right now, but you'll get, you'll get an evenly matched, you'll get the, the value will be evenly matched at best. Right. And we're not looking for evenly matched value because then it's like trading hours for dollars, right? You can't escape that. So you're trying to add value repeatedly, but you're not expecting anything in return. Okay. Because expectations are, if, if you have expectation, it's going to ruin this whole thing. Right. And people can always tell if you're, if you're doing something with expectation. Okay. So you, you need to have no expectations of anything in return and just continue to add value. You need to be adding value to high quality people because low quality people will just use you and they'll just take all the value. They'll take it all for free and they'll never give you anything back. So they need to be high quality people. But if you continue to add value to high quality people repeatedly, they will reciprocate because they're uncomfortable. A good person is uncomfortable just taking, just receiving. Right. Good. Most successful people are givers by nature. They're generous. They're generous. That's how they got to where they are. And so they'll want to reciprocate the value. So this is where the line ends for almost everyone. I've added value repeatedly. I've not asked for anything in return. And now they're offering to reciprocate the value. And I'm going to get tenfold the value that I brought to them. My turn. And you can do that and you'll do very well. Okay. There's a lot of people. Uh, there's not a lot of people that do that. So you'd, you'd stand out. But that works very well. But if you really are in it for the long game, what you'll do is you'll add value repeatedly. You won't expect anything in return. And when you have the opportunity to take that value back for yourself, that everybody takes back. And by the way, there's no shame in that. It's expected at this point. The high quality person offering to reciprocate that value, they want to give it to you. They're so excited to give it to you because you've been so helpful to them and you haven't expected anything back. So they want to bless you with that. They want to give you value in return. But if you can take that opportunity and say, you know what, the way that you can best help me is just by being available for somebody in my network who needs your help the most. You just set yourself apart from the whole rest of the world. Right? That's the ultimate display of selflessness. And everybody wants to be around and help someone like that. So now... You're the type of person who, when you can, you can now start racking your brain. Who do I know who's a, who's a valuable person, right? Who's a high quality person who could use the type of value that this person can offer. And you can now make a mutually beneficial introduction and be the cause of that increase in their life. Right. And if you do that for a long enough period of time, you'll build a very valuable network of people that love you and will do anything for you but it takes time. And once you have that relationship then, 
how do you go about maintaining it just to make sure it always is there forever? Because you say you can continuously add value over time, but how do you know, how do you know they're going to be around forever simply because of that selflessness at the end? You don't. And that that's so, and, and I'll talk about how to maintain those relationships. I'm not going to leave people hanging on that, but <laughs> you, you can't, you can't guarantee, you can't expect anything ever. Expectations are the ruiner of relationships, right? So if, if you're going to go and say, well, you know, I, okay, like, you know, I, this is a perfect opportunity. I need this from this person. I've been disappointed before by having expectations. I've added a tremendous amount of value to somebody. I met somebody else I wanted to add value to. I told that person the best way you can help me is to help someone that needs your help through me. I've made the introduction and it fell flat because that person didn't deliver. You can't have expectations, but that's the minority of cases. Majority of the time, you'll have an amazing experience and it'll all be coming through you and people will remember you for that and go to you when they need help. Powerful people will say, hey, who do you know who can do this? Who do you know who can help with this? And that's the place you wanna be. Um, the way you maintain relationships, one of the best, best, best things is social media. And so many people, here, here's the reality. Social media is a bad thing if you're a consumer of it. But if you're a producer through it, if you're on the other side, it's life-changing, right? I know so many people who have made $100 million by being producers behind social media, right? We spend millions of dollars in Facebook ads by you know, building our clients' businesses. That's not a bad thing, right? And I curate and build and maintain relationships with people through social media. We, you talked and reached out to me through social media. If you are a producer behind social media, not just a consumer scrolling, then social media is one of the most powerful tools we have. So one of the best ways to maintain relationships with powerful people is not to say, hey, what's up? Hey, what's up? Hey, how are you? Hope all is well. Nobody has time for that, okay? You gotta keep in mind, these are people who value their time thousands of times more than what, you know, any of, you know, than what I did when I was first getting started, right? When I first got started, if someone cool texted me, I was like, right there, right? Mm -hmm. But as, as, uh, as you see success, the demands on your time grow bigger, and bigger, and bigger. And so you start valuing your time more and more and more. And the last thing you wanna do, no matter how much you like someone, is reply to a, hey, how's life message, okay? And this can be difficult once you get to that point too because you'll have friends from your hometown who are like, hey, how's life? And it just, you don't want them to feel like you don't care, but it's just in the myriad of hundreds of messages every hour, it just gets lost. So don't be another person just adding stress to the life of a, of a successful or high profile person, okay? Instead, just stay top of mind. That's all you need. Stay top of mind. If the person has an Instagram, comment on all their posts, like all their posts. If, they, if they're posting stories, reply to their stories, right? Not maybe every single one, but just stay top of mind. And people want comments and likes on their posts, right? So you're adding a small amount of value every time you do that, and you're also staying top of mind because they see you there. And they might reply to you or whatever. So social media is a blessing that way because you can stay top of mind and you can maintain relationships without bothering people right? That are busy. So do that. If they have a LinkedIn, if they have a, if they have an Instagram, anything that they're active on at all, just stay top of mind. 
If not, if they don't have any social media profiles at all, or they're not active on anything, then only send them updates when you think of them specifically for something, or when you have something really exciting to share, or when you have value you can provide to them. Right? So don't just reach out for the sake of reaching out and maintaining a relationship. So reach out for a purpose. And ideally, if you can swing it, it should be, some, it should be a, with a way that you can add value to that person. Right? That's incredible advice. You've dropped some incredible value this past 45 minutes, and I can't thank you enough more. There are three final questions I have for you that I ask all my guests on three topics that I don't believe are spoken about enough, which are money, relationships, and death. I know we've touched on relationships, but I'm going to tackle it from a different angle. Okay. So the first question in relation to money is what does the word success actually mean to you? Success to me means getting to do what I want to do with who I want to do it with, when I want to do it, and how I want to do it, and have whatever that is be something that impacts other people in a positive way. And ideally, at a tremendous scale where I'm helping a lot of people. That, that is success to me. Perfect. Next one. So relationships, I know we've touched on it from the aspect of networking, but the very start of the episode, you mentioned you've got a family, you've got three kids, you've got a wife. Have you, how have you found balancing the time you put into work and the time you put into your family? Has it been difficult? Yes, of course it has. Anybody who tells you otherwise is lying. Um, I, it, it's just, it's, the reality is, is when you have so many, you, you, you can only have one top priority. Family. But, it's, but when everything feels like it's a top priority, it's very hard to sort, right? And so you just have to, you have to know what your priorities are, literally like have them written down. And then if you see that your behavior is not, even remotely close to what you've said you want your priorities to be, then you need to make a change. And ideally, you can have people in your life who will help hold you accountable to what your priorities are, right? And so um, one, of the, one of the best ways to prioritize family and work and, and life and all that stuff is you're never gonna have a balance, so you're just not. Uh, but if you can, just focus on the quality of the time that you have instead of the quantity, right? So for work, I have to travel a lot. I, there's a lot going on. And I have seasons where I'm really busy. But if during the time that I have with my family, if all I'm doing is thinking about work, then it's ruining the quality of that time with my family, right? And so I've had to learn to, you know, figure out ways to either put my phone in my office or whatever it is to try and increase the quality of the time that I do have, right? Yeah. And then also, um, you know, for, for anybody who's listening who this applies to or who this might apply to in the future, try to duplicate yourself in the be as best as you can so that there can be other people who can handle most of what you do if you're gone. Um, you know, like if you want to take a vacation or if you want to have a day with your family, you, a, your business won't, you know, end up in flames. Right. <laughs> so 
Uh, but I, I think the answer is don't, don't be too hard on yourself and think that there's anybody out there, regardless of what they post on social media that has it down perfectly. But just know that it's a matter of the quality over the quantity. Um, and you know, that you're not on your phone when you're with your family or whatever. And it's a matter of making sure that your life actually at least somewhat resembles what you say your priorities are. And most people, if they're honest with themselves, that's really just the biggest problem is they say, you know, so-and-so is the, the, the biggest priority in their life, but their actions don't reflect that at all. And they, and then they wonder, they're surprised when their life ends up not how they wanted it to be. And I suppose for you having a family now, you said the what your why at the beginning of the episode was your mum. Now you have the family. That must be even more of a driver. 100%. So my why, my, my reason for everything has compounded over time to now it's, you know, it's my mom and it's my wife and kids and it's the impact that I want to make in the education system and the impact that I want to make with the other projects that I have going on. So it's, it, it your why should always be growing and changing and compounding. It shouldn't, uh, it shouldn't stay the same. I love that. Final question. I know it sounds morbid, but it's super interesting. All the different answers I get. So are you afraid of dying? No. Um, I would say I, I, I would be, I'm not afraid of, of death. Uh, I'm afraid of premature death. Um, just in the sense of, I, I want to make sure that I leave behind something meaningful for people. Yeah. And I definitely haven't yet. And so, um, at least not at the scale that I, I feel called to do. And so um, I'm not afraid of eventually dying uh, because I know where I'm going and, and, and it's a better place than here. I just think that it's, it's more um, just, you know, I have a lot I want to do in the time that I'm here. So, so you want to have everything that you've set out to do before that time comes. And I think that's a big motivator for everyone because especially myself, it's just a driver, isn't it? For example, you know what you want to do. And if you get to that point, it's like when you hear like the stories of people on their deathbeds, the one thing they regret most is not achieving what they knew they were meant to achieve or what they wanted to achieve. So obviously, as you say, huge. And I cannot thank you enough for your time today. You've, drop some amazing value where can the listeners follow follow you on social platforms if they want to catch up with you if they want to drop a message drop a question where can they find you so i recently launched a youtube channel that i'm very proud of i'm putting uh as i'm putting a lot of time and effort into the content that's on there and it's obviously all free and so that's just uh my first and last name brett b-r-e-t-t knutson k-n-u-t-s-o-n so you can search that on YouTube or you can just type in youtube.com slash Brett Knudsen. Um, and then my Instagram, just my last name, Knudsen, K-N-U-T-S-O-N. Amazing. And I'll, that, for everyone listening, they will be in the show notes below to make it easier for you. Don't worry about remembering it. Um, so once again, thank you for joining me on this episode of CEO Journals. Thank you so much for having me. I just wanted to thank you all for listening to today's episode of the podcast. I'll leave all the relevant links mentioned in the show notes below. That's going to include the guests on my own Instagram handle where you can reach out to us with any questions you may have. 
In the show notes will also be any useful resources the guest or myself may have mentioned throughout the episode, so definitely check those out. I'd really appreciate it if you hit the subscribe button, it's only going to take a couple of seconds. If you do, it means you're going to be notified whenever I post a new episode. I'd also love if you could leave your thoughts in the rating and review section. I'm going to be reading all of these and it will help me understand what all of you are actually interested in. Leaving a rating and review will also help the podcast reach even more people, which only means better guests for all you listeners. Have a wonderful rest of your day and thank you again for listening to CEO Journals.